Hey everybody, it's Pastor Dominic from Gold Street Garden Church. We are so thankful as always to have you join us for another podcast episode. For the next few weeks, we are endeavoring to go through the book of James, which is touted by many theologians as the New Testament Proverbs. There is such a great wealth of practical application for the inward work of Christ that is found in the book of James. And we want to make sure what we believe in has breath and action in all that we do. So we know this is going to be a blessing to you. Enjoy today's message and the following messages that umbrella under this beautiful letter that James wrote to the church. Awesome. Well, if all those that have been with us, they know we've been going through the book of what? What have we been in? James. And we've been going line upon line. And the the major quote that the Lord has continued to use as we go through the scriptures is the crown of context reveals the king of the scriptures. How many people have been very blessed by us continuing to just read James? How you've been blessed and just getting a lot out of this? And I, I, really, uh, I really hope that you see that one of my, a huge heart of all that goes on is I want you to have a love to read the word. I want you to truly desire that when you leave these services that you have a that your appetite is stimulated by what we talk about, by how, because it's important that you realize that this word, who, this is Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. And if you, if you don't read it like it's him, it, it, won't, it won't bear the revelation that it's supposed to translate into your heart. We've been saying that I, I really, I want to, as I read these scriptures, Jesus would rise off the pages into my heart that I would be so convinced that this is my moment to know him more. And I'm starting to see more and more grow in my heart as I position myself to truly see him when I read, to know him more when I read. And I want to I wanna share that Jesus did not come to enhance your worldly experience. Jesus came to give you an experience that is independent from this world. That he came to show us a freedom. And this is where sometimes Christianity makes a huge mistake is they, they really think that the gospel is just saying that Jesus will make everything that's currently going on better for you and really the the heartbeat of God is to reveal that everything is going so bad because you're relying upon a system that is going to fail and that is destructive. He came to bring convictions and to bring things in our life that we would realize that true freedom is only found in him, knowing him. And in the book of James, in James chapter one, we went over the trials how trials are vehicles that God uses to mature us in faith. That sometimes the very things that we're asking for deliverance from 
God is really asking us that we would ask for endurance, that we would learn to grow in those situations. And then we talked about overcoming temptations. We talked about not being just a hearer of the word, but being a what? A doer. Jesus was a doer of the word. That's why he was the word made flesh. Every time you obey the word of God, you become just like Jesus. You become the word made flesh. That God literally said that Jesus is his word. That anything that comes out of his mouth is what? Jesus. This is, this is profound. This would mean that the more I want to know him, the more I have to get my eyes on these, these words and I have to get them in my mouth. Even when Joshua or Moses, when they were instructed to lead, what were they told? Meditate on my word. What? Day and night. And why would that be? Is because whenever they would come into any obstacle in life, whenever they would come, that they would be trained to respond the way God had instructed them to, the way that he was teaching them. In James chapter two last week, it was phenomenal how the Lord dealt with us about loving our neighbor, not showing favoritism. And then we got to the pinnacle verse that faith without works is dead. You see, this is so good. A church that knows scripture and knows it in context. So we get to James chapter three. And James chapter 3 really deals with two major subjects, two major topics. And one is the power of the tongue, the words that we speak, and the other is godly wisdom. And both of these go hand in hand. And I actually believe that we as a church really need to take a lot of adherence to the power of the tongue tonight to really see, because I as, as, as long as Gold Tree's been going, I have not taken a night to focus on the power of the tongue. And it's just been kind of where we've been at, and the Lord has been just reminding me and highlighting things to me. There was, it was about 10 years ago, <laughs> I listened, uh, there's a minister that I used to listen to a lot, and I still really, I still really admire a lot of his teaching, because he, he teaches the word, but uh, a minister named Keith Moore, he did a, a series on the power of the tongue, and it was like a 14, it was like a 14 part series, and each one was like an hour and 15 minutes long. So I remember I would listen to this on my drives to Bible college when I used to go to a Bible college and down in Tampa, and it was like a two hour commute. So I would drive an hour and then I would have to come and I would listen to the word both ways. So I would just be listening to the word all day. And when I listened to a series on the power of the tongue, I'm telling you, I stopped talking a lot. I started realizing how much idleness, how much garbage, how much unnecessary things were coming out of my mouth just because. And when we read this tonight, I really want to remind everyone that how did God create the world? By what? Speaking. And we're made in his image. So he made us to be speaking beings. He made us to be speaking spirits. And when he, tonight if I had to title James chapter 3, it's communication is creation. 
that, that what you communicate, you are creating. I want you to know that God never speaks without having the intent to create. That means that he's so watchful that he is not going to speak something because if he speaks it, it will happen. So he's so watchful to just frivolously use words that would not be productive to his heart or reveal who he is. That's why that brings a whole new revelation to Jesus being the word of God because God never speaks something he does not want to create to bring forth his heart. And he chooses that his, the chief name of his speech is Jesus. Jesus is the word. So in the beginning, when it was dark, void, it said that the Holy Spirit was hovering and it said, God said, let there be light. Jesus is the light. So when you, how did you get born again? By confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. This means that just, and in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says that we are new creations. So original creation was created by God speaking. The new creation is by you speaking what he told you to speak. When you say Jesus is Lord, you are creating the world that God desires you to live in, the garden that you're called to live in. Amen? So communication is creation. Say that out loud. So let's read some of James. And I don't know about you, but James has been, <laughs> this is what I want to say. How do you, the only way you can tell someone's truly reading the book of James is they will feel like they have gotten a spiritual spanking. If you can read the book of James and just be just super encouraged, <laughs> I read the book of James and I'm like, whoa, God took me out to the shed today. <laughs> You know what I mean? I'm just being, this book, this letter is gripping. Every time he's like, Shh, oh, you think you believe? Even the demons do. Whoop-dee-doo. Faith without works is dead. You want to show me your faith? I'll show you mine by my works. It's like going for it. And he's even been saying, you're showing favoritism. And he's, and you know, just so you know, when we started this whole thing out, the church is in a very, they're, they're all scattered right now. They're scared. And James is still bringing out the, the paddle. And this is what's been really stirred up in my heart. I've been sharing this a lot lately. Like I, if we're really reading this book, we should be walking away like, Oh man, like have reverence, have things really need to change. Like if you can just walk away from this book and just be like, oh, whoop dee you know, like this is beautiful. Like there is, there, there's the encouraging, there's, there's so much. But when I read this, I, I really want to be challenged. And, and, and that right before we read James chapter three, I want to show you this verse that just stuck out to me so much last night. Psalm 141 I just love his word, amen. Psalm 141, this is what 
the psalmist says. He says, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I think if we were all honest with ourselves, we would, we would realize that if you knew you had to give an account for every word you spoke, I think a lot of people wouldn't talk as much as they did. You know, I know some people that can talk for hours and not say anything. It's called CNN. No, it's just... <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> uh, so, um, it's called any news outlet for that matter. But the truth is, is that there are some people that can talk for hours and not say anything. And then there's some people that can say just one word and say everything. Have you? Exactly. You know, there's been moments that I've been in a room and the spirit of the Lord is moving so strong. And a worship leader or, or somebody just says, it's like they don't have to say a big sermon. or It's just like one word and everybody knows that is what God is saying right now. Don't say anything else. Don't mess this up. That's why I want you to know like what we're going to read in James tonight is going to illuminate what I'm about to say. But... Read verse three again, maybe memorize this. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. Now watch this. Let the righteous strike me. Wow. What kind of prayer is that? Let the righteous strike me? Like, you're talking about like, beat me? Like, let the righteous like put me in order, put me in, and then it says, it shall be a kindness. Let them rebuke me. It shall be as excellent as oil. Let my head not refuse it. Have you prayed a prayer like that lately? Let the righteous strike me. Let them rebuke me because it's as excellent as oil. And oil is so precious. It's the anointing of God. It's flowing down. It's fragrance. Like when I read that, it made me think of how many people hate to be rebuked. They hate to be challenged. But if you truly realize, and Nate said it earlier, when we realize how precious his word is, we would realize that it is just a giant book of correction. It is a giant book saying the way you were doing it was wrong. But my way will show you who you really are, what's really valuable. It's not a sacrifice to turn your back on the world. It is, it, once you realize how twisted, how dark it was, it is not hard to say no to it anymore. You just, you have to get to that place of seeing Jesus and we'll get there right now. So James chapter three. 
Starting in verse 1, it says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. I want you to know when I read that verse, you might all look at me and say, that, that's very sobering for, for you. There's people in this room that teach, that share the word. Did, did you see this verse right here? My brethren, let, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Do you know, and I, I want my heart to be so transparent with you all that I cry, I, I in, in tears of joy and then also tears of repentance, tears of, Lord, I don't want to ever get up and say things that don't honor you, that don't represent you. Everyone say represent. Because that's what's really going on here is that when somebody teaches God's word, but they misrepresent him and they just think that the knowledge or they just think having some cool little factual things about the Bible or, or want to share or some people just desire a microphone or just desire an opportunity. This is saying there's a stricter judgment. This is why I'm, I'm thankful any of you that pray for me, I want to humbly ask, please pray for, for myself. Please pray for people in leadership in church that have to share. This is a, I, there's times, and I joke about this in a, in, a, in a sense, but I've looked at sermons that I've preached from like 10 years ago. And when I read them, I'm like, Lord, forgive me for preaching blasphemy. <laughs> like, because I've grown and I've seen, but like, Lord, forgive me. And, and I'll hear the Lord say to me, I made sure they knew that I love them because I knew your heart. And that there might be errors that you make along the way, but it's, it's the heart and what you're doing, the heart and going after it because you have to represent him. But when we talk about this verse before we get just rolling through the rest of this chapter is when it comes to not just desiring to be a teacher, I also want to just give a quick plug here to help a lot of people out. If you say, please hear me, if you say that God spoke to you you better know that he spoke to you. You're like, that should be plain. It doesn't seem like it. Because it seems like everybody hears from God. And sometimes when people say they're hearing from God, it's just an excuse to avoid dealing with consequences. So they say, God spoke to me, so you can't say anything. When we hear about taking the Lord's name in vain, we just think about like saying a curse word. Taking the Lord's name in vain is saying God spoke to you and he didn't. That's using the Lord's name in vain. What I would challenge you, find different terminology. You know what I mean? I, I sense a tugging in my heart. I'm bringing it before the Lord. Whenever I even give people advice, I don't say God spoke to me. Unless I totally know. And if I totally know, I'm going to probably grab you. This is why we have to be watchful. There are people that are like, I just need to hear a new word. Or I need somebody to speak something over me. And it's beautiful how the gifts move. But I'm telling you, 
You can say God spoke to you if you say what he said. (laughs) You don't have to come up with something elaborate that sounds spiritual. You can actually read the word and God would be very pleased with you. It's the word of God and we need to have this reverence that we don't just say, you know, God spoke to me or God's telling me this or God, be watchful. Is you hear me and I'm saying this as protection for you. I'm saying this that be watchful in how you communicate because you could be misrepresenting him. Oh, I just want to give you two examples in scripture that truly humble me. In fact, if everybody, a little home, fun homework for you, read 1 Kings 13 this week. 1 Kings 13, I'll give you a quick summary. There was a man of God, he remains nameless even in the story, but they, they call him man of God. And he heard a word from the Lord and he was told to deliver it. And when he was told to deliver it, he was told that as he delivers this word, he is not to eat or drink anything from the people that he delivers the word to. Everybody got that? So he's to deliver the word and not take anything from the people he speaks to. So he does exactly that. Everyone say glory to God. God. Awesome. He, He does the assignment. Great man of God. And I remember the first time I read this, this story freaked me out because he does exactly what he was told. And then on his way home, he's on his way home. Bible's crazy. He's on his way home. And it says an old prophet heard about him. And this old prophet comes along to the man of God and says, man of God, what are you doing? And the man of God quotes exactly what God told him. He says, I was told to deliver a message. I deliver the message. I'm not supposed to eat or drink anything until I get back. And I'm giving you a very, uh, just a quick summary. The prophet, the old prophet, this is what he says. He deceives him. And he says, an angel told me it's okay for you to eat and drink. Come to my house. This man of God has done everything up to this point. And he listens to this old prophet. And you know why he probably listened is because he hasn't ate or drank. So his flesh was probably like, this is awesome. I can finally eat and drink. Like he's just thinking this is an old prophet. You know, he might have knew of him or something. He's like, awesome. Soon as he begins to eat, the prophet looks at him and says, you've disobeyed God. And a lion comes and eats him. Just straight up. A lion. You're like, is, there a, is, he, is he resurrect or something? No, you keep reading the story. The lion doesn't even devour him. The lion stands there so nobody can take his body. And then it says a donkey stands right next to the lion and the lion doesn't even eat the donkey and they just stand there over his corpse and people walk by looking at the man of God that disobeyed the Lord. Do you think there's a problem with misrepresenting God? There's another story in Numbers. Everybody remember Moses? You know, we, we champion Moses and we should. He, he, man, Moses put up with a lot. I always, I mean, those, that, was, that was millions of people that Moses was in charge of and all they did was complain, murmured and whined. They all, Merry 
Moses, where's our bread? Moses, why do we? They, they, all they did, could you imagine millions of people just complaining when you're the one that's, that held the rod up. You're the one that spoke to Pharaoh. You're the one that's hearing from God. And bread is like bread's falling from heaven. And it's not just regular bread. It's like honey buns. Like it's like, that's what it says. It was like tasty. It said it was like covered. It was, it was like, they're getting everything, even quail, even quail. They don't have to go hunting for the quail. The quail just like just falls there for them to eat every day and they whine and complain and there came a time where they wanted fresh water and the Lord told Moses to strike a rock in the middle of the, the wilderness and water came out and he did exactly what God told him to he hit the rock now this happens again where they're complaining and you know what all of them are complaining and, and God, he, Moses and Aaron, they go to God and they're on their face just crying out pretty much like, Lord, I can't deal with these people anymore. <laughs> like Moses is just like, please, I, I, he doesn't know Jesus is to come. He's just kind of know. He's like, but you got to send somebody out. Like he, he was praying and he's just at this place. And the Lord says to him, you are going to speak to the rock and water is going to come out of it. And when Moses gets to the rock, he's so mad at all the people that he takes his staff and he begins to strike the rock. And you know what he says to all the people? You bunch of rebels. Here's your water. Like you can read, but he, he speaks things that God told him, never told him to say. And on top of it, God didn't say strike the rock. He just said, speak to the rock. And you know what's really beautiful about a foreshadow there is Christ is the rock. And what happened when Christ was on the cross? That when they struck him, water came out. But what's even more beautiful about that is that when the, when the water came out, the reason Moses wasn't told to strike the rock again is because Christ is crucified one time and that's enough. That he was struck once and now all we have to do is declare by faith and we receive the water. Because Moses misrepresented God, you know, he has 40 years he's walked around with these people that have been complaining. You know what God says? Because you misrepresented me, you are not qualified to go into the promised land. Maybe you didn't know about that about Moses, but it's right there that he's right about to get into the promised land. He's dealt with 40 years of these people. He's prayed for them. He's interceded for them. And God says, because you misrepresented me, you're not going in. Now we know Moses is in heaven, but he forfeited what he could have had here on the earth because of a misrepresentation of God. You're like, wow, this is really sobering. We need to understand. We have to have reverence for God. The, the, the fear of the Lord If you have the fear of the Lord, you will live your life like God is watching. The fear of man is only lusting after the world's attention. But the fear of the Lord causes you to live a life like God is watching. And a lot of us like to think that God isn't watching because of what we have, but 
he, he sees everything, he hears everything, but that's not to, that, he doesn't want you to be horrified about that. He actually wants you to know that you can come to him with anything and that it's, it's, it's supposed to be transparent. But if we water down the word, people will begin to just say and live any way they want to. And there is something that God wants to pull you into that's holy. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 8, that the pure in heart shall what? See their God. This means that the more world you allow into your heart, the more fickle emotions you allow to to, to rule your life, you will not see God. And all you'll see is just your own perception of who you think he is, and it'll cause you to live like an orphan. It'll cause you to live like somebody that doesn't know who their father is. And no matter what relationship you've had with your natural father or parents on this, or God wants to show you who he truly is to you in being a father. And you have nothing to be ashamed of. He wants you to bring it to him. But if you're a follower of Christ, he's calling you into a higher standard and you can be empowered to walk in that tonight and every day. Amen. So I just wanted to share that. As we keep reading, final thing, even with that, you're like, we only got through one verse. I'm just, this is, this is really, <laughs> this is why I don't know why we're preaching other things. The, look, look how much scripture we went through in one verse. I, I was sharing chapters with you. I'm sharing things to help you see that when you also more homework, John chapter 10, if you're taking notes, really read John chapter 10 and understand the context that the whole chapter is about hearing God's voice. Did you know that there is nothing more important in your life than hearing his voice? If you ever feel like you're at a place where it's hard to hear the voice of God, I want to first tell you, read your Bible out loud, because that's his voice. And when you do that, I want to tell you that Jesus said, in John 10, 27, he said, my sheep hear my voice. And the voice of a stranger, they do not follow. So Jesus came to, to magnify, amplify the voice of God. That when we see Jesus, we see the voice of God amplified, portrayed in its entirety. And that's why we, we need to, that's why you see us around here. We're obsessed with Jesus. We, we were infatuated with him because God is infatuated with him. Do you know if you wanted to get, if you really wanted to get on my good side, you know what you would do? You would do something amazing for my child. You know, and just in public, like if, if a parent, if somebody just gives a, a child something nice, like randomly, and you're there and they get a big smile on their face, that's like blessing me. So what happens when we exalt God's favorite son? How much does that bless his heart? How much does that bring joy to him in that? And it's the same way. So John 10 really emphasizes the voice and not being led by another. And it's important you realize your choices reveal the voices you listen to. Your choices reveal the voices you listen to. And choices are the language of the heart. What you choose to do is the language of your heart. No matter what, you can't 
The choices you make, we said it uh, at the outreach Saturday that you, you come into this world looking like your parents, but you're gonna leave looking like your decisions. The choices you make. So as we keep reading, it says, verse two, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouth that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Now just think about this. Just when you read things just simply, the first thing he's saying in verse two is he's saying that if, if you don't stumble in words or in tongue, that you are a perfect person. That's crazy, right? To not stumble in what you say, to, to always say the right thing. I once heard a quote, I already mentioned him, Keith Moore, he said this, he said, this is very, it, it rhymes, so it's great. You can always remember this. The more selective you are with your words, the more effective they will be. The more selective you are with your words, the more effective they will be. This is just very simple understanding that you understand the weight in what you are saying. Did you know words are spiritual? You know how, you know how I truly know words are spiritual? You can't see words. Did you realize that words are breath? You were created by God breathing into your being, breathing into your nostrils. When you speak words, they are spiritual. And it's not only the words you say, it's the spirit in which you say them, right? I can be like, hi, honey. Or I could be like, hey, honey. You see, totally different spirit, totally different vibe in what is being delivered and we have to be very watchful with our words how we share how we speak how we go and all in all of that and I really believe that like if we truly believe words are containers this is why I want to read a few scriptures that help us see that you can actually put life in your words and you can pull somebody out of darkness you can pull somebody out of situations by truly speaking life. How much more for your own self? Now, with that being said, what are the images that James gives us? He talks about a horse, right? And he says, a bit in a horse's mouth. Well, the thing is, a little bit in a horse's mouth, a horse is a big specimen, right? And it's saying that just this little tool that you place in this horse's mouth will actually steer him or her which way to go. So something very small has the power to steer something that is, we could probably say a hundred times bigger than the tool itself. Same thing with the boat, that the boat is, is, is ginormous, but this rudder that it's outsized by has the power to steer the boat the way it wants to go. Do you see those things? That it's just something very simple. So we see that our tongue, we see that the words that we say, we're, we're, we're actually desensitized by our, our, our world to continue to kind of nonchalantly approach the things we say. 
I mean, even over time, the things that we say, even slang terms with young people are always getting more and more twisted in, in a way. You know what I mean? Like we went from saying, you know, things are, you know, when something's cool, we say, that's sick. Or that's probably old school now. You know what I'm saying? But like, who knows what they say now? I really don't even know. I don't, but it's like, yeah, Evan would know. So it's like, but, uh, but because he teaches at middle school, that's why, but it's like, but the, where we, where we're at is just understanding that the value on words. So the other thing about those two instruments that he talks about, so you have the horse. Now, I want you to understand something about a horse is that this bit in the horse's mouth, the horse represents actually carnality because a horse is a, is an animal. Just if it's hungry, it eats. If it sees something at once, it go, it's, it's, it's skittish. It's, it's just completely bound. It's like a carnal thing. So this little bit in the horse's mouth that, that steers this whole, it, this little bit has the power to take a undomesticated, a wild, a wild specimen that has its own will and actually get it to go where it wants it to go. So what would that share with us? That we have the power with our tongue to literally make sure that this, the carnal nature, this, any type of sinful desire does not steer us because James is telling us you've been given a tool. You've been given a weapon that can actually steer you away from what the carnal man wants. Do you see that? And then even with the boat, it brings up how the winds and the waters can get very crazy and there's elements that are unaccounted for that just happen in the world, but still the rudder has the power to work against opposing forces and contradicting forces and still get to the destination. What, is this, what should this tell us? That you've been given something in your mouth. You've been given something that God has instructed you to steer your life. We're reading something that tells us that we have to take responsibility, that that you have to grab the steering wheel of your life and start speaking God's word. You have to start prophesying God's word. You don't need more prophets to tell you this is the most prophetic word you will ever receive. That you'd start to create, I'm all for prophets, but I'm here to tell you that this book is God has given me and it's a weapon. It says it's, it's my sword and it's saying that my tongue actually allowed, because remember in Revelation when Jesus returns, do you know what it says? He's coming back with a sword coming out of his mouth. That means that all darkness knows that when he opens his mouth, you're in trouble. Does the devil feel the same way when you open your mouth? Or when you open your mouth, is it just a bunch of darkness? Does your mouth steer you to more detours than it does the narrow road? Are you, because if you're on a, a path of destruction, you have a lot of highways. You have a lot of room on the highway to say whatever you want and steer all over the place and get into wrecks with people because of your words. 
But if you're on a narrow path, you're focused on steering. Has anybody had to ever drive like even a golf cart? I know Chrysler would probably know whatever. You got to drive in like a narrow path, stay in a thing that you have to focus. You can't put it on crew. You got to focus when you're trying to stay in the lanes. When you're, if you're steering, you got to make sure. And I want to remind families, you need to be steering the boat of your family by speaking the word. There are parents in here or there's, there's, there could be just family situations where you are complaining about things that are going on and you are steering yourself into more wrecks where you should start prophesying the word of God over your family. You should, even, because the Bible says, I want to remind you, it says in Romans 4, 17, it says that God calls those things that be not as though they were. He speaks the word. It says in Job 22, decree a thing and it shall be established for you. These are scriptures that you can get in your heart and begin to operate. But what does it say in Joel 3.10? It says, let the weak say what? I am strong. Why would it say that? Because God is trying to get you to realize your words if you truly believe in the power of his word, that they will take you to a reality where you are not at. And even if you don't see it immediately in the natural, your faith is not connected to any natural uh, indicators, but that you're looking towards that. Is everybody getting this and seeing this? So you're seeing that it's very important. And I said this uh, recently, and I, I, I want to make sure I repeat this, that taming the tongue reveals your relationship with the Holy Spirit more than speaking in tongues. Taming the tongue reveals your relationship with Holy Spirit more than speaking in tongues. Because if, do you know why one of the things that says in Isaiah, it says that Jesus wouldn't speak a word? You know when he was put on trial and they were saying all the things about him that were untrue, you know what he did? He wouldn't say a word. He had so much self-control and he only spoke what the father told him to speak. If he's the Lord of your life, he should be the Lord of your mouth. But a lot of your communication makes it look like you make all the decisions. That you're the king of what you want to say. You know what? This person needs to hear this. Let me just say, did you think about what? Should we keep reading? Because we're talking about, I, I want to make sure I'm just really making it clear. Did you know the first temptation when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? We've been bringing this up multiple weeks. The first temptation was what? He said, why don't you speak? Why don't you say and turn these stones into bread? The devil wanted to get Jesus to use his mouth and use God's authority to get what he selfishly wanted instead of honoring the word of God for what it is. That the very, this temptation was twisting the authority of God and speaking for selfish gain in a moment. That this was a temptation that the enemy tried to use. And it's important to see when we're looking at this and, oh yeah, I have to, I have to bring this up. So, <laughs> I want to remind you the words you speak unveil the kingdom your heart is submitted to. The words you speak unveil 
the kingdom your heart is submitted to. How can I say that? In Matthew 12, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. That verse should make you say, ow. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This means that when I, when I minister to people on the street, I can tell a lot about, and this is not a brag, this is just based off the word of God, how it goes. I can tell so, there's probably people in the room feel the same way. I can tell so much about a stranger by just hearing them talk for just like 30 seconds. I, I can get a read because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you are a true follower of Christ, you realize that when people speak, you're just like a doctor writing down the diagnosis. This is what they need to hear. This is the life they need to hear. They need to hear this scripture. You're diagnosing prescriptions. <laughs> but in John chapter 8, I want to show you another example about the power of the tongue. In John chapter 8, Jesus was teaching, he was preaching. And in this moment, at the beginning of John chapter 8, it says that an adulterer, adulteress, was brought before Jesus in the middle of him teaching. Could you imagine, I'm here preaching the word of God, and somebody just brings a woman that was just caught in the act of adultery and just throws her right at the altar. I would imagine she was not dressed for the occasion if she was just caught in the act. Jesus is in the middle of teaching and preaching. And you know what the Pharisees say? They say, the law of Moses says we are to stone her. Teacher, what do you say? You know what they're doing? They're trying to, they're trying to put Jesus in a hard spot. But they don't know who they're talking to. But what they're trying to do is they know that Jesus has been known for his compassion and healing and forgiving. And that's the narrative that it continues to grow about his character and who he is. But the law, which Jesus is the word and he has to, up, he has to uphold the law of God because it's God's word, says that they are to stone her. So you know what Jesus does? I would imagine because he was a man, he was probably feeling some emotions of frustration that he had to resist because these people, isn't that so messed up to try to get him in this place? And he knows that's his daughter that they're embarrassing. That's his daughter. And this is what he does is he begins to kneel down and he begins to write in the sand because why? He's being slow to speak and quick to hear what the father is saying. And then when he stands up, what he says is, he goes and he says that he that has no sin cast the first stone. He who has no sin cast the first stone. And it says one by one, the oldest to the youngest begin to walk away. And then the woman is still standing there. Did you see that it only took one word from God to silence every opposing force of darkness? It only took one word, the power of the tongue. It wasn't, even when Jesus prayed for people and laid hands on people, he would only say 
very little because his time with the Lord was so invested that it was, he never had to pray these long prayers for people to be delivered or for people because he knew the power of investment. He invested time getting deposits from the word in him. And this is why when we invest time with him, the word, words are so spiritual. And this is why we have to be so watchful for what comes in our heart and what's being deposited. Because if God's word, it says in 1 Peter 1.23, it says that the word of God is the seed of God. And he is creating his garden, his habitat in your heart through this word. And as you speak, you are releasing the fruit. You are releasing the reality of what God has deposited in you. So this is why you have to be so watchful what you say, what you speak. Amen. It only takes one word to oppose it all. You should get excited about that. Did you know that it's only that even tonight that these scriptures were going through, that if you meditate on this and you realize it came from God and you get it in your heart, that this could destroy dark agents that have been trying to convince you otherwise, get you to go down a different path, take the steering wheel and begin to decree the word of God over your life and over your family, no matter what it looks like. Amen. That even, in fact, when it looks the craziest, when it looks the enemy is trying to convince you it, the word doesn't work. He's trying to convince you that there's no power in this. But I'm telling you, you have, and this is why lying is so dark. This God, it says it's impossible for God to lie because one of the things that is so grotesque about lying to your identity is when you begin to lie, you're subconsciously convincing yourself everything that comes out of your mouth isn't true. Which means that when you try to speak things that are true, there's, there, there will be residues of doubt because you've trained yourself to say things that aren't truthful. You have to be a watch over your mouth, amen? So as we keep reading, it says that even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Just pause there for a moment. Do you remember the story with the rich man and Lazarus we talked about a few weeks ago? That's if this story, and just to give you the, the reference to remember, is that it's in Luke 16, 19 through 31. It says that when the rich man was in Hades, it says the first thing he said is, can somebody dip some water on my tongue? Because his tongue was on fire. And you see this verse right here is, is bringing harmony to that, that reality, that scripture. It says that the tongue is set on fire by hell. This means that people that aren't submitted to God, they are speaking, they're speaking Satan's agenda. They are, they are releasing venom of hell with their mouth and you keep reading that it goes on to say for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no man can tame the tongue it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison you see how it says no man can tame the tongue 
This is why you have to surrender your tongue to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit can help you in this arena. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Say amen. As we're reading the word. Now, one of the things, this, we were talking about how the tongue can steer our life. Now what is James talking about? He's talking about how the tongue can destroy and how, how dangerous it is. Is there anybody in this room that has been affected by what somebody has said before? Every hand should go up at some point in your life that somebody has said something that cut deep, that, that, that it, it, it hurt because words are very powerful. That some people's whole identity is all wrapped around the way that they were spoken to as a child or things going on. Like we have to realize that if you realized your tongue, if you treated your tongue and realized like it was a weapon, just think about if your tongue was a gun. You wouldn't just whimsically fire that thing off. You would be so watchful in what you say and the heart in which you say it you would want to make sure that it was only used for its purpose. And the reason people talk very outlandishly, the reason that they kind of just say whatever they want is because they don't truly see the reverence we need to have, that it's a gift from God and it's to steer our lives and to bring us to a place of truly honoring him. This is why worship and, and reading the word is so powerful. I want to speak it over because what are we most tempted to do? We're most tempted to, to, to complain, to, to speak negative, to, to think it's never going to work and to, and to decree those things, but we have to do otherwise. So I want to give you a few verses to, to, to help you. Ephesians 4.29 says this, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Psalm 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And as we said earlier in Matthew 12, 33 through 37, it talks about how out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it also says that you will be judged for every idle word that you say. That's intense, right? That means a word that has no meaning. It has no bearing on eternity. That, that this is, and then in Proverbs 18, verse 21 is where we get our famous verse on the power of the tongue. It says that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Did you know that the power of life and death is not only in what you say, but also in what you choose not to say. That sometimes you not saying something when you should can actually bring death. And that's why I'm trying to compel people tonight to speak life. First Peter 3.10, it says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. 
Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Amen. In Proverbs 13, 3, He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. This is very serious. So I just want to encourage you all that if you get anything out of this, I know this is very teaching, but we can't just, we can't just you know, abstract these things or think that they're not there. We have to truly understand that God has given us this to steward and we are to speak life over one another and to speak the word. So this is why you need to meditate and memorize scripture and be decreeing it over your life, amen? So these final verses here. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion, every evil thing are there. I got to read that again. Verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Nate and I last week were having a conversation at the barber shop, and it struck me so much because when we were talking about this, this is the reality that Gold Street and what God has been really revealing to us in, in ample fashion. And you know, when it comes to deliverance, just think about this. If, if we went around the room and people had to share their testimonies, what has God delivered you from? What would people begin to say? God delivered me from drugs. God delivered me from depression. God delivered me of suicide. God delivered me of, uh, of being a pathological liar. God delivered me, and we would go around, and all of that is beautiful. And I'm not here to, to, to talk down to any of that, but I want you to see something that's very important, that it says wherever there is envy or anything self-seeking, everything evil exists. It's just saying everything evil is there. And when you think about those things that I was listing, did you know that even in the world, if somebody was dealing with drugs, if they went to a really good rehab, that a rehab could help them off of drugs? You're like, well, why would you say that? I'm, I'm not saying that God can't deliver, but what I'm, I'm trying to say is that the world can actually help people get delivered of certain things in the body of Christ that we would say. So even if somebody wanted to just try to make better choices because they were fueled by selfishness to be the best person they could be. They could, get, they could find help in the world. So why would I make this case about deliverance and say that even the world can deliver from things? Because the, the highest form of deliverance is being delivered from yourself. The world can't deliver you of being unselfish because the world only knows how to inflate you, how to exalt you, how to make you only think about yourself. And the world is fueled by selfishness. 
everything they do. The reason that the, there's rich people in the secular world is because they're, they're selfish. They're motivated for themselves. So what happens when somebody is just completely motivated by Christ and that they're completely out of the picture, that it's this deliverance of self? Because what did Jesus say the prerequisite is? He says, all that desire to come after me, how many people want to go after Jesus? It says, all that desire to come after me must deny themselves. So the prerequisite to, to going after God is that you can't come. It's literally that you have to lay your life down, take up your cross, and follow him. This is what the gospel is, and this is what James is trying to say. He's saying that every evil thing is when people are selfishly motivated. That this creeps into Christianity so much that people are selfish motivated for things and we need to find that this is godly wisdom what James is saying and 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 in Romans and we're close worship team can come but when we talk about the humility here that James because that's what we're going to get with James chapter 4 next week but when this is something that has been truly going off in my heart that when you see that this deliverance of self, when you get this godly wisdom, that the fact that who knew Jesus the best when he was on the earth besides his own mother, John the Baptist. And soon as John the Baptist saw Jesus, do you know what he said? He said, behold, but then he went on to say, he must increase, I must what? Decrease. So knowing him and then seeing him begins to erase this need of self and you begin to behold him because what did Paul say in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. It's I who no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So even Paul being so close to Christ is finding himself wanting to be eliminated from the equation and fully yield to Christ because every evil thing exists where there is selfishness. We need to, as a church, begin to be so drained of selfishness, asking God to reveal every wicked way that we would be at, at a place where we would be so focused on him and this, this deliverance of self. You know, we, I, I shared this with some people recently. Some of you may have seen it, but Alan Hood shared something so profound, and he talked about how the, bride, the bridegroom, we're talking about Jesus, that who is his bride? We are the church, right? That the bride, we're the bride of Christ. And Alan Hood went on to say that when it comes to people that are self-seeking in the church, that are just, that are just after attention and that are self-seeking, that what they're doing is they're actually stealing the affection of Christ's bride. That means that when you're self-seeking and you want people's attention, what you're actually doing is you're having an affair with Jesus' bride that he's the only one that should be getting the affection and the attention. If you want the affection and the attention and you want the praises of man, you need to be delivered of that. If you need people's attention or if you need the attaboys and you need all of this, I'm here to tell you that, that God is enough and that you have to be delivered of selfishness because wherever selfishness is, every evil thing continues to cycle. 
And if the enemy knows that there is selfishness there, he knows where to pry. This is why martyrs, this is why people that follow Christ, that they did not love, love their own life to the death. Because that scripture where it says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony and the word of our testimony goes on to say, and they did not love their own lives to the death. We leave that part out a lot, but it's talking about a people that are so selfless, that are so in love with him that their tongue is the steering wheel to only speak God's word, to only speak life into each other and into the, into the next generation and into families. And then just completely removing ourselves from the equation. And I want to share this, that selfishness is the peak symptom of spiritual, it, self, selfishness is the peak symptom of spiritual immaturity. In fact, it's the peak of demonic maturity. That this is how the, the enemy thinks. If you only think about yourself, you think just like the devil. That it's this, this selfishness in, in closing in Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one is very sobering. And I, I encourage you to read that as well. But I want to start at verse 16 that Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from what? Faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. But then it goes on to say, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what they may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse because although they knew God they did not glorify him as God nor were they thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened professing to be wise. We're just talking about spiritual wisdom. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, reason God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural natural use for what is against nature likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Why would we read this whole chapter? Why would we read this half of the chapters? The fact that what we see here is that God 
the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, but the wrath of God is revealed by suppressing the truth. That when you don't hear the truth of God's word, when you don't elevate the word in your life, and it, what is it going? It talks about homosexuality. It talks about all these things begin to ramp up, and it says that the wrath of God is revealed because people suppress the truth, but who is the truth? Jesus. And Jesus is holding the wrath of God back right now. Did you know that? That the wrath of God is being held back, that Jesus has his arms stretched wide, that he's holding the wrath of God back from people. And this is why we have to become more selfless. This is why we have to truly see that God is giving us a moment in time. This is why we are preaching the gospel. This is why we are doing whatever it takes to make sure that life is coming out of our mouth, that we are representing him everywhere we go because Christ is holding back wrath, not so that people can play with sin or live their best sinful life and just pray, but that God is looking for a people that says, God, I'll do whatever it takes. Use me. Use me. Is that you tonight? Are you saying that, God, here is my mouth. Let me start speaking over the surrounding regions. Let me speak over my life and over my family to steer things the way that they need to be going. You have the power tonight because he has given it to you to steward it. Amen.